decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the air in studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Welcome to the Pine Trees. We got squirrels and nuts. Yes, it is Tuesday, the 13th of December, 2022. And I was thinking this morning, I haven't put my Christmas tree up. So sometime today, that globe light behind me is going to be replaced with my little Christmas tree. And we'll have that. I normally do that right after Thanksgiving, and I just I haven't done it. It's in the box in the next room. I just got to go get it and pop it out. It's already lit. It's, you know, I just got to plug it in. And so I will I will take the, the lamp down and put the Christmas tree up so that tomorrow we'll have a Christmas tree back there. And I apologize for doing that. Just thought about that this morning. It's like, I haven't decorated for Christmas. Well, such is life. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.org and check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You're sure to find something interesting. And uh, I just listened to uh, the December edition of Echo Zoe Radio um, with Andy's guests, Fred Butler and Andrew Rappaport. And that was a, that was a fun conversation. They, they didn't do, uh, normally, they like review all of, Andy's episodes for the year and talk about which ones they liked and which one they didn't because they've done this for like three or four years now but this time they they just each brought a topic and and so they had a just a kind of an open discussion among the three of them regarding a couple of topics um, Christian nationalism and cessationism where I believe the two topics that they covered but it was a rollicking good time, so you could listen to that or many of the other podcasts. There are over 50 podcasts in the Christian podcast community, so check it out. You're sure to find something worth listening to, christianpodcastcommunity.org. All right. We are reading through the entire Bible in the Legacy Standard Bible. We have three weeks left, minus one day because we read yesterday, and it'll be three and a half weeks, or two and a half weeks after we're done with today, we are ticking down to completing our Bible read-through this year. And I announced yesterday that I'm going to take the 12 days of Christmas off. So I will pre-record that week from Christmas to New Year's so that we finish the Bible reading on time, on schedule, and completely, Lord willing. And then I'm not going to be here until the ninth. So we will, I will be taking some time off so that I can kind of rest and recoup and, and, uh, and everything and, and get back with it. If you notice my t-shirt today, I'm wearing a Waffle House t-shirt. I'm actually drinking Waffle House coffee too. And, uh, it's good stuff. Waffle House coffee is interesting. Now I was not a coffee, coffee snob growing up. Um, I grew up drinking coffee, um, but back in the 70s and 80s when I was a kid, you didn't have a lot of fancy coffees available to you, and I grew up basically on Folgers and Maxwell House, which I now know are not the best coffees. So along comes Waffle House coffee, 
And Waffle House coffee has the rich depth of a fine coffee with these hints of cheap canned grocery store coffee. It's a it's a strange blend of flavor. So it's it's uh, now Starbucks is not fine coffee, but I, I think of it more as as like the the coffee you get at Herb's house with just a hint of Folgers. <laughs> And that's kind of the flavor of, of Waffle House coffee. It's good. But it's got a strange hint of, you know, so that's, that's just the way that is. All right. Our scripture readings today are Malachi, Psalm 2, and Revelation 9. And then I want to talk a little bit about Santa Claus. So that is our show plan for today. Let us begin, as is our habit, with the Prayer of Confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who hast caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, the book of Malachi. Or as my dad used to always say, the Italian prophet Malachi, which is a joke. That's not how you pronounce the name. But you knew that, didn't you? Yes, you did, because we have a smart audience. Excuse me, I have a nose running. Catch that. All right. Let us read the book of Malachi. The oracle of the word of Yahweh to Israel by the hand of Malachi. I have loved you, says Yahweh. But you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares Yahweh? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau, and I have set his mountains to be a desolation, and his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says, we have been demolished, but we will return and build up the waste places, thus says Yahweh of hosts. They may build, but I will pull down, and men will call them a territory of wickedness, and the people toward whom Yahweh is indignant forever. And your eyes will see this, and you will say, Yahweh be magnified beyond the territory of Israel. A son honors his father, and a slave his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is the fear of me, says Yahweh of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of Yahweh is to be despised. 
But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Please, bring it near to your governor, would he accept you? Or would he lift up your face, says Yahweh of hosts? But now entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us. With this thing which is from your hand, will he lift up any of your faces, says Yahweh of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not light a fire on my altar in vain. I have no delight in you, says Yahweh of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be presented to my name, as well as grain offering that is clean. For my name will be great among the nations, says Yahweh of hosts. But you are profaning it, in that you say, The table of the Lord is defiled, and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, Behold, how tiresome it is, and you disdainfully sniff at it, says Yahweh of hosts. And you bring what, what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Should I accept that from your hand, says Yahweh? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says Yahweh of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Chapter 2. And now this commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, and if you do not set it upon your heart to give honor to my name, says Yahweh of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings, and indeed I have cursed them already, because you are not setting it upon your heart. Behold, I am going to rebuke your seed, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says Yahweh of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as something to be feared. So he feared me and stood in awe of my name. Instruction of truth was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of Yahweh of hosts. But as for you, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says Yahweh of hosts. So I also have made you despised and low before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways but are showing partiality in the instruction." Do we not all have one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously each against his brother, so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of Yahweh which he loves, and has married the, younger, married the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, may Yahweh cut off from the tents of Jacob everyone, who awakes and answers or who presents an offering to Yahweh of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of Yahweh with tears, with weeping and with groaning because he no longer regards the offering or receives it as acceptable from your hand. But you say, for what reason? Because Yahweh has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. 
but not one has done so, even one who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly seed? Be careful then to keep your spirit, and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says Yahweh, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says Yahweh of hosts. Be careful then to keep your spirit, that you do not deal treacherously. You have wearied Yahweh with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of Yahweh, and he delights in them, or where is the God of justice? Chapter 3. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says Yahweh of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a smelter's fire and like fuller's soap. And he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may, be, they may present to Yahweh offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to Yahweh, as in the ancient days and in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against those who swear falsely, and against those who oppress the wage earners in his wages." The widow and the orphan and those who turn aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says Yahweh of hosts. For I, Yahweh, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says Yahweh of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says Yahweh of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and empty out for you a blessing until it is beyond enough. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not corrupt the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field fail to bear, says Yahweh of hosts. So all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says Yahweh of hosts. Your words have been strong against me, says Yahweh, but you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is worthless to serve God. And what gain is it that we have kept his charge, and that we have walked in mourning before Yahweh of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed, and not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. Then those who feared Yahweh spoke to one another, and Yahweh gave heed and heard it, and a book of remembrances was written before him for those who fear Yahweh and who think upon his name. And they will be mine, says Yahweh of hosts. On the day that I prepare my own treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will return and see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the ones who serve God and the one who does not serve him. Chapter 4 For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every worker of wickedness will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them aflame, says Yahweh of hosts. 
so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip like calves from the stall, and you will tread down the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says Yahweh of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and judgments which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of Yahweh, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land, devoting it to destruction. Now Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage, and the peoples meditate on a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together, against Yahweh and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord mocks him. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of Yahweh. He said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall shatter them like a potter's vessel. So now, O kings, show insight. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he become angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. And now Revelation chapter 9. Then the fifth angel sounded. Then I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the pit of the abyss was given to him. And he opened the pit of the abyss, and smoke went up out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death and will never find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. And the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. And they had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is the power to hurt men for five months." They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who have been bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were released who had been prepared for the 
hour and day and month and year, so that they would kill a third of mankind. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was two hundred million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sit on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and of hyacinth and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons, and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their sexual immorality, nor of their thefts. This is the word of the Lord. And now the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the Collect for Grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, Defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance to do always that is righteous in thy sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. I want to talk a little bit about Santa Claus. Santa Claus is obviously one of the most common features of Christmas time and uh, primarily in the um, cultural Christianity that we experience every year. Mm. Cultural Christianity includes, you know, Santa Claus, reindeer, presents on Christmas, Christmas trees. All of these are aspects of cultural Christmas. They're not inherently Christian. Cultural Christmas is celebrated by Christians and non-Christians alike. I'm always, I, I, I'm always astonished to think of Japan, which is a, like 2 or 3% of the population is Christian if it's that high. But Christmas is a huge, uh, huge celebration in Japan. It's, it's, a, a, cro a cross between family time and Valentine's Day. So it's a day when, when parents and children celebrate with their children, and at the same time, it's 
dinner on on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day is a time to take your sweetheart out to a fancy meal. And for those who are staying home and having Christmas with the family, the traditional meal is Kentucky Fried Chicken, based on an advertising campaign from the 60s. And you have to order your bucket of chicken weeks in advance, like up to up to two weeks or up to two years in or two months, excuse me, six, six to eight weeks in advance to get your bucket of chicken for Christmas. And it's, it's just an amazing, amazing thing. Same with your reservation at a fancy restaurant to take your sweetheart out, sweetheart out to dinner. So you'll see, you know, young people in the restaurants entertain like Valentine's day. And then you'll have families sitting at home, mothers and fathers and children enjoying a bucket of chicken and, and just this cultural Christianity, this cultural Christmas, because it's not even Christianity. There's no mention of, of Jesus or very little is, is, you know, something that you don't have to be a Christian to celebrate. And indeed we see that here and, and, uh, so the modern popular conception of Christmas, the, the, the cultural Christmas, is very American. And that includes Santa Claus. But Santa Claus is a blend of English and European traditions that have been imported into, they were imported, were brought to America by colonists and then later imported um, to America. So we got this popular conception is a blend of several English and European traditions. First from England, we have Father Christmas. Now you may think that Father Christmas is Santa Claus and modern depictions of Father Christmas are Santa Claus. Um, the American tradition has returned to England and shaped Father Christmas into Santa Claus so that they're virtually indistinguishable and the name Father Christmas and Santa Claus are used synonymously. But the origin of Father Christmas in England, Father Christmas was a figure from royalist pamphlets during the English Civil War and Interregnum. And this Father Christmas figure in the pamphlets was arguing for the return of Christmas celebrations to England. During the English Civil War and the, the Interregnum that followed before the restoration of the monarchy in 1660, the Puritans had outlawed Christmas. Now, the reason they had outlawed Christmas was the fact that they viewed Christmas celebration, and of course the name of it is Christ Mass, referring to the, uh, the distortion of the Lord's Supper that became the, the Romanist celebration of the Mass. So they didn't like the name, which I understand. And 
So they viewed Christmas as papist, but they also, Christmas celebrations had become drunken revelries. Um, part of the reason is it's the middle of winter, and in the middle of winter, farmers aren't doing much work. You, you can't plant crops, you can't harvest crops, you're, you're, there was a lot of idleness in winter. And idleness, Christmas gave idle farmers and farm workers an excuse for feasting and drinking. And so there was a lot of drunken revelry around Christmas. Well, the fact of the matter is that Father Christmas was a jolly man and was the symbol of restoring this party atmosphere, this drunken revelry that appealed to people. Um, people today are still the same thing. If the, 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 the wider world, it's like any excuse for a party, right? Um, I, I, you know, there's, there's people wandering around who are just think of themselves as a party looking for a place to happen. You know, any excuse to crack open a beer or whatever and, and just have a good time. So they were arguing for the bringing back of this Christmas celebration and they were appealing to the people's desire to drink and be merry. And so that was the symbol of Father Christmas. He was, he was like a, you know, he was a party figure. Now, after the restoration of the monarchy and the restoration of Christmas celebrations, Father Christmas kind of faded. There were, you know, small villages that, that started to include Father Christmas in their Christmas celebrations, but really he kind of faded into the background. But he was revived during Victorian times. Because it was during Victorian times that our modern Christmas began to develop. The Queen Victoria was part of the, the Hanoverian family of Germany. Um, the, uh, all of the British, or all of the, the royal families of Europe are very closely related because, you know, the old thing of, of sending, um, there's the old joke about my daughter wanted me to treat her like a princess, so I married her off to a stranger in France to strengthen the military alliance because that was, uh, that was something that, that royals did. They would send their daughter, trade daughters, in marriage alliances in order to strengthen ties between royal families in the hopes that these marital ties would lead to political alliances. Um, this goes, this goes way back. You see this in, in ancient Greece and Rome. Um, I think particularly of, of the Seleucid empire and the Ptolemy, Ptolemaic Egypt, they were constantly trading daughters back and forth. You know, I'll marry my daughter to your son. 
even at the same time that they were continually warring with each other. It's like they kept trying to establish peace, but they went right back to warring right over the time. So this is nothing new. But as a result of this practice, all of the families of Europe were inter, interbred, very related to each other. And so at one point in history, without going into any further detail, the closest heir to the British throne was a German prince. And so the House of Hanover, the, the Hanoverians, was established as the royal house of England. Um, and and the, the, the British royal family is still of German descent. Of course, after the centuries, they've intermarried with British people for so long that, you know, and when you consider that, you know, England is a Germanic country to begin with, you, you end up having, you know, but they, they changed the, the family name to Windsor after Windsor Castle during World War I because they didn't want the royal family to be uh, associated with Germany because Germany was the, England, was the enemy. So that Father Christmas then began to be revived during Victorian times alongside certain German Christian traditions that had been imported by the ruling Hanovers, like Christmas trees. So then we move to the continent. And in Europe, you have the feast day of St. Nicholas. Um, we don't think of feast days, unless you're Roman Catholic or came out of a Roman Catholic background, we don't grow up with feast days in America. You know, St. Valentine's Day is a feast day. Um, it, but we don't really think of feast days. But, but in the ancient church calendar, certain Christians from history were celebrated on their feast day. And one of those was Bishop Nicholas of Myra. He was a bishop in Asia Minor in the 3rd and 4th centuries. Um, his dates of, he was born around 270, and he died around 343. We can't be more precise than that. But he was a, a, a bishop in Asia Minor, um, modern-day Turkey. And he is considered to be the patron saint of sailors, merchants, archers, repentant thieves, excuse me, children, brewers, pawnbrokers, unmarried people, and students. So busy patron saint, apparently. Well, we have no contemporary third and fourth century sources of the life of St. Nicholas. What we have are stories and legends that were collected and compiled hundreds of years after he lived. And so there's no way of verifying the truth of any of them. Some of them are so fantastic that you know they're not true. Um, one such is apparently he, he is credited with chopping down a tree that was possessed by a demon. Um, 
one of the ones that, that always makes me laugh is he is credited with resurrecting three children who had been murdered. They had been murdered by a butcher, pickled in brine, and the butcher was planning to sell them as pork. But Nicholas found out and raised these children back to life. Okay, probably not. But uh, there it is. <laughs> um, one of the stories that's told around him was that he saved three sisters from being forced into prosecution, prostitution, prosecution, forced into prostitution by dropping bags of gold during the night into the stockings they had hung by the fire to dry. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Hanging stockings by the chimney. Um, of course, one of my favorite stories is that uh, it's said that he attended the Council of Nicaea in 325, which is very likely because he was a bishop in that area. He would have been close to Constantinople. He was further east, but that's very likely that he was at Nicaea. Now, he's not listed. We don't have attendance records of Nicaea. Some people are listed in the history of having been there because the, the narrative talks about what they said or did. St. Nicholas is not mentioned in those records. But the legend from about 100 years later was that St. Nicholas was one of the bishops who was defending the deity of Christ and that at some point during the, the uh, deliberations, he punched Arius in the face. I hope it's true. <laughs> I really do. It's one of my favorite stories about St. Nicholas. Um, I said, we don't know that it's true, but uh, it's one of those just, gee, I'd like for that to be true. So that's the person of St. Nicholas. Well, his feast day is December 6th. And throughout Eastern Europe, Germany, and Northern Europe, uh, the Netherlands, Poland, I mean, it just, it, all through that area, St. Nicholas has been celebrated on his feast day of December 6th for centuries. Um, he's known to reward good children by leaving a gift under their pillow or in a boot placed on the windowsill. Now remember, this is on his feast day two weeks before Christmas or three weeks before Christmas. And bad children would receive sticks or a lump of coal. So this is where this tradition comes from. Now, this brings us to 19th century America. Remember, the early colonists in New England were Puritans, and they outlawed Christmas just like the Puritans in England had done, for the same reasons. So, in the early English colonies, especially in New England in the north, it was different in the south because the the like, you know the Virginia colonies and they were they were um, not founded religiously. They were founded for commercial reasons, or like Georgia was a penal colony. It was a debtors' colony. People who who had great deals of debt were sent to work, you know, they call them debt slaves or, or indentured servants. 
they were sent over to work off their debt. So somebody would buy their debt, and then the 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 debtor would be sent to the colonies where they would work off their debt before becoming free peoples. And that's one of the origins of slavery in the Americas, starting out as this debt slavery, and then, you know, finally got to the point where they were importing tribal Africans and they were not considered indentured, they were considered property. But that's neither here nor there and not part of the discussion today. But in the North, you had these Puritans who settled. But remember, New York was originally the Dutch colony of New Amsterdam. And in that Dutch colony, the traditions of St. Nicholas, whom the Dutch call Sinterklaas for St. Nicholas, uh, Klaus is a nickname for Nicholas, so St. Klaus, they, those traditions were here if under the surface, but not widely celebrated. But in the early 19th century, a man named Moore or a man named Livingston, there's debate over who wrote the poem. But in 1823, a poem was published entitled A Visit from St. Nicholas. You know it. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hope that St. Nicholas soon would be there. We know this one, right? This was published in 1823. It was published anonymously. Like I said, there's an argument over, over who actually wrote it. Moore was of English descent. Livingston was of Scotch-Dutch descent. I think the, the, uh, the, the elements of Dutch tradition in it would come, you know, make the, the Livingston claim uh, viable. But whoever wrote it, it was the first popular public depiction of Santa Claus in the United States. And this is where we get reindeer, Northern European. Yeah, so you got reindeer and sleighs. So you see the Northern European tradition, reindeer pulled sleighs are not uncommon in Northern Europe. So Twas the Night Before Christmas gets published and that begins to popularize Christmas celebrations and brings in the tradition of the, the stockings and gift giving and reindeer and all of that. That's where the names of the reindeer come from. Dasher and Dancer, Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cubit, Donner and Blitzen. They were named in that poem. There's no record of their having names before that. Matter of fact, in the Dutch tradition of Sinterklaas, he comes on a horse. <laughs> And, and children would leave out hay and carrots for his horse. In a, they would take a wooden Dutch shoe and fill it with hay and carrots and leave it outside for his horse on December 6th. So we see it's starting to shift to Christmas or, duh, yeah, you know, it's Christmas Eve, it was the night before Christmas. So this, this 
tradition of of St. Nicholas is shifting to Christmas time away from the feast day of St. Nicholas. Then in 1843, Charles Dickens publishes A Christmas Carol, popular in England and America. Again, cementing in popular thought certain Christmas traditions. Um, and so, you know, like a ghost story for Christmas, but it's, it's, it's talking about, you know, goodwill and gift giving and feasting, you know, we're going to have a, have a goose and, and, you know, kindness as opposed to miserliness. And, you know, the, the messages of a Christmas carol are not Christian, but they're, it's a morality tale. But at the same time, it's starting to bring Christmas traditions into popular thought. And notice it's Victorian. So it's during this Victorian time that Queen Victoria's family was, because of their German descent, celebrating Christmas differently than the English had. And so... During the 1800s, during this time, there was a, a published picture of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert and their children around a Christmas tree. Now, I believe it was actually, it wasn't a photograph. It may have been a photograph. We had photographs as early as, you know, the 1860s, 18, late 1850s. It may have been a photograph or it may have been an etching, an engraving. I'm not sure. But it was a picture, you know, of the royal family celebrating Christmas around a Christmas tree. And that began to bring the, pot, the, the Christmas tree uh, popularity would begin to rise. So the modern Santa Claus that we know is an American blending of these dis different traditions from England and Europe where Santa Claus and Father Christmas get melded, moved to the Christmas season away from the Saint's Day of St. Nicholas, but bringing the, the traditions of presents, stockings filled with gifts, all of that coming to Christmas with Santa Claus. Now, what should be the Christian response? Now, there are those who, you know, are adamantly opposed to celebrating Christmas in any cultural sense. And I understand that. You can look at the commercialism, you can look at the superstitions, um, you can look at all of that and think that this is not good. And indeed, you know, it's pagan or whatever. It's not really pagan. It's a, it's, it's pagan-ish. <laughs> it's it's folklore that has developed around Christian traditions. I mean, St. Nicholas was a real guy. And the traditions that have arisen around him aren't Christian. But they were reflections of things that were known about him or believed about him, that he was generous, that he helped people, that he 
gave gifts to the needy. Remember, he helped those three sisters get dowries so they could get married instead of having to be forced into prostitution. So he had this, you know, this, this character, and that character got magnified. But at the same time, you have supernatural, divine attributes attributed to him. Um, he knows if you've been naughty or nice. <laughs> um, you know, so he's got some sort of omniscience, at least regarding children, that he watches over children to see who's naughty and who's nice. Yet, how would he do that? <laughs> um, you also have the, the, the weird tradition of, you know, saints having semi-divine powers. You know, that people pray to saints. Um, those are unbiblical traditions that cannot be supported. And those have been wrapped up into St. Nicholas that... You know, just as people pray to Mary or pray to St. Christopher or pray to whoever, they can they, they pray to St. Nicholas and, and attribute to St. Nicholas semi-divine supernatural powers, which he doesn't have. Um, St. Nicholas was a real person. He was a real Christian. He was a preacher. He's in heaven enjoying his reward and waiting for the second coming and the resurrection of his body, just like every other dead Christian. So what is the, what should our response be? What should we tell children? First off, I think we should tell children the truth. That St. Nicholas was a real person. He was a Christian preacher. 1,700 years ago. And he's remembered around Christmas time because that was the celebration of his feast traditionally. And that these traditions have grown up around him. And, you know, the, the real St. Nicholas became the fictional Santa Claus. And that, you know, these are stories. And they're fun stories. So we can truthfully celebrate the birth of Christ and at the same time, enjoy watching Miracle on 34th Street and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and reading The Night Before Christmas. I, I, I believe that, that we can read The Night Before Christmas and enjoy the story and we can watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and we can watch Tim Allen's The Santa Claus um, at least the original. I haven't seen the new one. And we can enjoy these things. That, that's, they're, they're stories. They're fantastical stories. And, and we don't have to teach children that Santa Claus is real any more than we teach children that Spider-Man or Iron Man are real. They, they're stories. And so that's fine. And they can be treated as stories. And if you have a, a Santa declaration decoration in your house, who cares? Um, the, the modern depiction of Santa Claus really comes from a series of, of Christmas paintings. Um, I can't remember the artist's name, and I didn't put it in my notes. From the late, 18, uh, late 19th, early 20th century. 
that were in Harper's Weekly or Saturday Evening Post. I'm not sure which magazine, but they were pictures of Saint of Santa Claus and Coca-Cola's advertising that started in the 1920s, 1930s of Santa Claus with Coke around Christmas time. And we've got, it's a reproduction of the Coca-Cola Santa Claus. I've got one. It's in a box somewhere. We haven't put it out for many years, um, but we have one. And when I was growing up, and I don't know where it ended up. It's probably in a box that, that one of my sisters has. The original Santa Claus, one of the original Coca-Cola Santa Clauses um, that was sitting on our hearth as I was growing up. That was, you know, that, that was one of the original Coca-Cola Santa Clauses. It's a little Santa Claus about a foot and a half high holding a bottle of Coke. And, and the bottle of Coke is actually, um, I think it was like a, a brass bottle of Coke, but it's the Coke bottle shape, you know, and he's holding it. And, and so, and, and there were a couple of elves that were with him and the, the quote unquote elf on a shelf thing that people play around with today, those elves are patterned on those original, uh, Christmas elves that were put out by Coca-Cola. So these are traditions that, that, you know, they can be fun traditions, but we need to recognize them as traditions. We need to be honest about them. I don't think, I honestly don't think that any Christian parent should ever tell their children that Santa Claus is real. Um, I think it should be carefully explained that these are traditions that the stories of Santa Claus are made up but that they are based on a real person and tell them about St. Nicholas you know um, even then we don't know what stories about him are true because they were they were written down so long after he lived so it's a it's a these can be fun traditions and fun stories and you know Enjoy Twas the Night Before Christmas. It's a great poem. Talk about the development of these traditions. You know, be open about history and tradition. Don't be a slave to traditions. Know what they are. And there's no harm, I think, in, in recognizing them as traditions Americanized European traditions based on a third century, third, fourth century Christian preacher in what is now modern Turkey. We can, we can enjoy these stories. Tomorrow I'll talk a little bit about Christmas trees. So we'll just continue to talk about this theme that's all we got for today. I wish you the very best of Tuesdays. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. See you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless.
Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.